Uh, good morning, everybody, to this morning's service. Uh, coming from Billericay Baptist Church. Thank you to Nigel and Cheryl and the family for leading us in worship. That was great. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about the heart of Jesus. And you may think that's quite a simple message, but I'm hoping as we go through this, if you're like me, you, you'll learn just something about the heart, the passion of Jesus for you, for you personally. If you're looking uh, on this screen now, this is Jesus, God himself, his heart for you. Um, I've been influenced and been reading a book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Sinners, that old biblical term for people who are just not, don't get it quite right all the time, but he's not one that condemns, it's saying the heart of Christ for those that get it wrong occasionally and for the sufferers. We're looking at the heart of Jesus. When we use the word heart, we can think of many things. I've got a heart for West Ham. I've got a heart for motorbikes. They're more sort of hobbies and I wouldn't say I can take them or leave them. I don't really want to leave them. Uh, But they're not the core of who I am. But when the word heart is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, more often than not, it's describing our innermost being, the centre of all we do. Foremost, the things that are foremost in our thoughts, our motivation. Uh, The the heart, in biblical terms, defines us and guides us. So when we talk about the heart of Jesus, we're looking at the core of who he is the heart of Jesus. So I'm going to read uh, from Matthew uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 28, just to the end of the chapter, just a few verses. And these are words of Jesus. They come after actually quite a a rebuke, which I'll look at later on. Um, When we talk about heart, let's not think, when I read these verses, that we're talking about weakness. When we talk about being humbled or lowly or gentle, Don't think weakness, think strength, and you'll see why as we go through this. But let's look at these passages. Words of Jesus, Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The person who says this, Jesus himself, God, he existed, he still exists, he's alive, and you can travel through the Bible and you'll see many descriptions of Jesus. Even in the Gospels, you can go and look at descriptions of him. Bread of life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. This is who he is. But what about the heart of Christ? What about his core? What about his motivation? What's the heart of Jesus? That's what this morning is all about. And friends, as much as I do, as much as I've had to, especially in recent times, you need to hear the heart of Jesus, the heart of Christ. I need to hear it once again. Life is great. And and the Bible says we can have life in all its fullness. But let's face it, it has its challenges. There's challenges going on now in my life and people that I love, their lives as well. And I bet you've got some challenges as well. And sometimes we're our own worst critics, aren't we? We can beat ourselves up. Or situations or events can knock you down, beat you up. What's Jesus' heart 
for you in those times. It might be that you go through times of discouragement or frustration, you feel weary, maybe even cynical or empty. I remember uh, when I was young, a long time ago, a um, bit of a rebel, and I used to like going to places where they had those, when I was a kid, it was those stairs that move. I, th- I think at the time I called them escalators, but obviously we know they're escalators. And of course, one escalator goes up and one escalator comes down. Guess what one I tried to run up on? It was the down one. And so as a kid, no matter how much I tried, I couldn't make any progress. I'd get about halfway, putting all this effort in, and wasn't really getting anywhere. Even now, if I go to an airport, I see an escalator. I'm tempted, but I've matured a bit. It's a struggle to go further, and things seem to be against you. And sometimes it's fair to say that our Christian walk can seem like that. We're trying to do things in our own effort, but we're going the wrong way. We're, we're trying, to, trying to run against the wind. Or it might be, oh, I've messed up again. I'm just trying to do things in my own strength. God's patience for me must be wearing thin by now. It might be that you can tell others like about God's love or of Jesus, but struggle to accept yourself and sometimes your failings. You might think that your time is up, your usefulness is over, you've missed your chance. It could be that you're on a spiritual high, life's good. But I bet, like me, you've felt spiritual lows as well. And it's against that background that you recognise, at least I did, and I hope you do as well, that in those times when you might be putting yourself down, you might be thinking you're unworthy, you might be desperate, that Jesus draws you to himself and he wants to show you his heart. Of course, Christ dies for you, doesn't he? He pays the price for your wrongdoing. It's called atoning for sin. It means we can know God. It's been done. And we know that. They're the works of Christ. They're the works of Jesus. But what about his heart? Do you realise what his deepest heart is for you? There's a reason he did all that. He did it for you. He's got a longing in his heart for you. With all the mess and all the pain and all the struggles and all the good stuff, his heart cuts through all of that. It's for you. He has a heart for you. It's difficult to put that into words, isn't it? If you have a husband looking across at a wife at a dinner table, uh, he can tell everybody how much he loves her and buys her presents and all the rest of it. But if he looks at her in a certain way, she just knows. She just knows that he loves her. She knows that he has a longing for her. So you can know about the person, but it's so much more if you know their heart. And Jesus says against that, I'm gentle and humble, some translations say lowly, in heart. Now how about this? There are 89 chapters, 89 chapters in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, 89 chapters. This is the only place, the only time Jesus mentions about his heart. It's the only place in the Gospels that Jesus tells us about his heart, his core, his motivation, what drives him. The Gospels can tell us about his teaching, they tell us about his birth, his ministry, uh, the disciples, the way he travelled, his prayers, his talks, his fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy, which, which helped prove that he was and is the Son of God, God himself. We learn about his arrest, his death, his resurrection. And since then, since then, theologians have written millions of pages 
over a period of 2,000 years about all those things. But in this verse, it's the only place where Jesus talks about his heart in the Gospels. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't mistake that for weakness. It's Jesus letting himself be seen by you. You can see him at his core. Of all the things he could have said that we might attain to him, he, he could have said, I'm exalted in heart, I'm demanding in heart, I'm condemning in heart, I'm joyful in heart, I'm generous in heart. But he doesn't use any of those words. He uses two words. He's setting the agenda when we want to see deep into his heart. He says, I'm gentle and humble or lowly. So let's look at those two things. Firstly, I'm gentle. The Greek word translated here for gentle is used just three other times in the New Testament. In, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, where he says the meek will inherit the earth. It's, it's translated meek. In Matthew 21, verse 5, um, Matthew's highlighting a prophecy that was given back in the day from Zechariah 9, verse 9, that Jesus the King is coming to you humble. That's when it's translated there, humble and mounted on a donkey. And finally, in 1 Peter 3, verse 4, uh, encouragement to wives, uh, it says, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. These, these are the different ways that word got interpreted. So meek, humble and gentle. Not harsh, not fed up with you and your mess, not indifferent, not ready to shoot you down in flames. You can argue that Jesus is the most understanding person there is. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way, but was without sin. But that had to be because we've, we've messed up. But he pays the price for you, going back to that atonement. He's the most understanding person there is. And I have to confess, I think sometimes in my life, I see him maybe subconsciously pointing at me with a finger when in fact he has open arms. When I think he's just pointing to me, look, oh, look what I've done wrong again, rather than come to me, Ian. He has open arms. He is gentle. And we're told that he's humble or lowly. The meaning of the word lowly is normally translated humble in the New Testament. And the word is used to talk about becoming low by circumstances. And we know that Jesus became like us, to be like us, to identify with us. This is his humanness. He is fully God, fully human. He is Christ. He is God, yet he becomes like us. He made himself low, the circumstances. He came like us so that he could take my wrongdoing. And he took that to the cross, which some at the time saw as a sign of weakness and defeat, but we'll see that it wasn't. It means that when Jesus tells us he's lowly or humble, it means he wants to associate with those of the same. If he had, if he had stayed elsewhere and he was, he was God, he wouldn't even be able to look at us because, because we're, we're, we're in the mess, but he becomes like us. So he's fully God, fully human, identifying with us why he's still God. And what that means, he's saying he's accessible. So many people are fighting and, and struggling and trying to earn approval. He's saying, look, I've got open arms. I'm accessible. He's God. He's glorified. He's holy. He's powerful. But for all that, he says he is gentle 
and humble or lowly. No one has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. You can't earn his heart. It's who he is. His heart is for you. Even among all your disappointments and self-condemnation or what the world thinks of you or what your background is or how much you think you're a failure or how much you think you're brilliant. You can't change his heart. His heart is for you. You can't earn it. All your disappointments and self-condemnation, his heart is for you. He is gentle and humble. His heart is for you. He is gentle and humble. That's his heart. You can't change his heart. He is approachable. You can't jump through the hoops to make him love you. He loves you already. And he wants you to come to him. He's got open arms. He wants to embrace you, even in your mess. His arms are open. But of course, when someone wants to embrace us, and especially at the moment, that's a bit of a tricky thing to do in lockdown. But there is no lockdown with Jesus Christ. His arms are open. There's no social distancing. He says, run to me, come to me. And we must open ourselves up to him and go into that embrace and then offer yourself back to him. That's the way to find life. That's the way to change. It means I want to follow in his ways. It means I want to be led by him. It means I want to have a heart for others. And who is this open embrace for? Who qualifies? Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, all who are weary and burdened, all of you that are running up that escalator, trying to make sense of life, whether you're a follower of Jesus now or, or, or not, if you're trying to do things in your own strength, you are running up the escalator and you're going to get burnt out and you're going to get weary. You, you've got you've to be led by the wind of the Spirit of God, following his ways, find life, come to him, let him change you, be led. I've said before, I used to pride myself on being a driven person and it cost me. I'd much rather be a led person, get the drivenness come from that, but I want to be a person who is led by him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all of you that are trying to struggle and make your own way, and think you've got to find all the answers. He says, come to me. Your burden is what qualifies you. There's no payment necessary. He says, I will give you rest. It's a gift. Not necessarily the rest that we might enjoy, putting our feet up and watching the football or whatever. He says, rest for your soul, for your eternity, for that inner peace that can only come from him. Weighed down, worked, weary, burdened. Jesus' desires, you, you find him and find rest. How, verse 28, he says, come to me. Go to him. He is tender. He is open. He is welcoming. He is understanding. He is gentle. He is lowly and humble in heart. And this offer is for those who come to him, who choose to take his yoke on themselves. The yoke was, was a, a, a word like a bracket that connected two oxen you would, and they would be driven forward uh, for farming. And you might think, well, that's, that's quite a heavy burden. But actually, um, it gave them direction. It showed them where to go. Take your yoke on yourself. Otherwise, there are consequences. Gentle, gentle and lowly doesn't mean mushy and frothy. You just have to look at the verses preceding what he just said. Look at verse 20 in Matthew 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. 
They didn't turn to God. They didn't accept him for who he was. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. We have Jesus meek and mild. We have Jesus the lamb who died for me. We also have Jesus the lion of Judah. So this gentleness, this lowliness, this humble is for those who come to him. He's, he's, uh, he's, he, this is his desire. This is his heart. He wants you to come to him. The offer here is for those who come to him. It's clear that if you don't, there are consequences in life. And those warnings, you can put them in today's uh, circumstances and say, look, these are warnings of going your own way, of thinking that you know best, of running the wrong way up at the escalator, swimming against the tide, whatever you want to call it. It's like the Israelites in the desert. You know, we thought they had better ways in the Old Testament uh, of doing things themselves. They tried all sorts of different things and they turned away from God. They got into trouble and they, they were wandering. They had to come back to God and God is calling us all back to him. Jesus is saying, come to me. So there are warnings for those who don't. And you need to hear that warning uh, this morning. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not accepting him into your heart, do something about that. You're running up the escalator the wrong way. But for those who come to him, the, the penitent, the followers, his arms are open, he welcomes you. You can't undo his core being, his heart. No matter what you feel about yourself, his heart is for you. This morning, think about that. If you're a follower of Christ, if you'd accepted him, his heart is for you. Whatever you're going through right now, he's for you. In your sins, in your insecurities, in your doubt, in your failures, you can't outmatch his heart. It's for you. For he is gentle and lowly and humble. It's who he is at heart. And as you lead the Christian life, as you surrender yourself to him, he says he gives rest for your soul. What does that look like? It's that peace that surpasses understanding. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. There's a lot of suffering. And it would be easy to really despair. But he somehow, as we trust in him, even when circumstances are not what we want them to be, when we see people we love uh, hurt or suffering, or when we see good things going on, it's his heart, he wants to give you rest and peace for your soul. It doesn't mean, say, your body. You know, we do have to work. It's, it's, it involves work. The Christian life involves work. Walking that Christian walk involves work. And it involves the work of the Spirit of God. As, he, as, he, as Jesus has opened his arms and you go to him, he gives you the Spirit of God that starts to change you. But you cooperate. This is the work that we need to do. As you experience the kindness of Jesus, then you can be kind as well. As you experience the love, you can love. As you experience the peace from the Prince of Peace, you can have peace. As you've been so much forgiven for all your wrongdoings because he is, he is gentle and lowly and humble at heart and welcomes you so you can forgive. As you experience him, as you come to him, the Bible says we can become like him. We can leave his presence wherever you go. 
my children have grown up now, but um, they used to go to parties. They still do. They're very different kind of parties now. But when they were little, it was more jelly and ice cream. And invariably, what would happen, they'd come back <coughs> with a present, a gift bag and a balloon and always glitter. Why, why glitter? You know, you open a birthday, glitter everywhere. Um, we've even done it in church on Christmas Day and we've had those glitter bomb things. It takes us weeks before we can get all of that off the floor. The glitter is everywhere. You go and have a shower. Somehow it's still there. It's in the bottom of the shower. How's that happened? I just wonder for the Christians, wherever we go, we just leave specks of ourselves and of Jesus wherever. Where we've said a word of encouragement to somebody, could have changed their day. Where we've been kind, where we've served. It's like little bits of glitter just dotted around. And all the Christians across the world, which is about a third, Doing that, that glitters everywhere. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. When you're in situations where there's angst or discord, you can embody his character and show the world a different way. That isn't weak. That's really strong. I've never been on a cruise ship. My parents has. They say, they say it's good. But you always know where the cruise ship has been if you go to the back of the ship. You look behind it. It leaves a wake. You know where it's been. And I just wonder as Christians... We're supposed to leave a wake where we've been. We're supposed to show where we've been because, because we've, we've left deposits of what it is to be a Christian. All those little things that we do add up to huge things. And Jesus' motivation for you is his heart. It's his heart. He wants to give you his heart. He embraces you. He welcomes you. heard this story about a doctor. He'd made loads of money and so he didn't want any money. Uh, but he was a chemist as well, and he, he discovered, he'd, he'd helped uh, discover this medication for a serious illness, and he went off to be a missionary. And there was disease in the jungle, but the tribe wouldn't take his medication. He didn't want money for it, he wanted to give it to them. He knew it was good for them, but it was this little powdery thing, they'd never seen it before, why would they take that? He didn't want the money, he wanted them to be well, but they didn't trust him. And lots of them died. And that filled him with sadness, real sadness, because he knew he could change them. Can you imagine how Jesus feels where he offers us something, himself, his life, his spirit, and we refuse to take it? He's in angst. That does not give him joy. Now, eventually, the tribal leader gets ill, and he takes the medication, and he's healed. And the tribe followed. What do you think the doctor felt then? He felt joy. He didn't get any money or any kind of loyalty or anything like that. He just had joy because he wanted to help. That was his heart. That's what Jesus wants for us, doesn't he? As he opens his arms, he wants us to take the medication. It's him. He wants to change us. He wants to make us better. And he joyfully gives. He says, Jesus, to you this morning, take his yoke upon you. To take his ways, his character, to live for him. There's freedom in that. It echoes what Paul says, doesn't it, in Philippians. For me, to live is Christ. You take his yoke to learn. It's not weakness. Look at Philippians 2. It says, Jesus, who's God, humbled himself. Sounds weak. He was obedient. That shows some strength. Even to death. That now doesn't sound weak. Death on a cross for you. That's how much his heart is for you. And it looks like it's a defeat, but what happens? Philippians 2 says that God exalts him. The cross isn't a defeat, it's a victory. It may have seemed weak at the time, but it was all powerful, it's a victory. 
And it says that at his name, every knee shall bow. It's like seeing a drowning person and you have a life jacket and they're drowning. They don't really understand the life jacket. It looks a bit heavy and burdensome. Surely it's going to be, it's going to not do them any good. It looks cumbersome. It's going to be an effort to put it on. But you know what? If they do, it saves their life. And I've, I've had a picture given to me, um, sharing with Dave, who's recording this now, just before, where I'm rowing in a boat, and I'm rowing against the tide, and I'm, I'm getting weary, and I'm getting burdened. You can't fight the tide. Maybe sometimes put the oars back in, let the boat turn around, and just be led by God. And wherever the Spirit takes us, be Jesus in that situation. There is freedom in that. I, I like, I've always liked to know where my life's going, what's planned, can we do this, can't we do that? Actually, one day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. And Jesus says that elsewhere, doesn't he? You can't change yesterday. Don't keep worrying about tomorrow. Live today. It's a gift. It's the present. He says, take my yoke upon you. We need to take that life jacket or the tablet for the tribal leader. We need to recognise it's good for us. He welcomes us with open arms. We need to be the boat in the ocean, being led by the Spirit. Jesus is holy. He is the Christ. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. But let's not pretend he cringes when he sees my wrongdoings, my sin and my suffering. He actually welcomes me. He says, come to me if you're weary and burdened. He wants to embrace It gives him joy. It gives him joy to offer that. He just wants us to take it, to show his kindness because he is gentle and humble or lowly in heart. He is for you. The question that remains if you're not a Christian this morning, he is for you. Will you be for him? Will you accept that you're running up the escalator the wrong way and there are consequences? Or will you have life in its fullness, not in its perfection, not in it, there'll never be anything wrong, but life with God, only made possible with Jesus. And the Bible says we need to repent. Remember he said about these cities that didn't repent, they refused to repent. Repent means turn to God. And even for Christians, we need to do that on a daily basis. Turn to God, give it back over to God. But if you're not a Christian, believe in what Jesus has done. Be baptised like a new birth, spiritual rebirth. Will you be for you? Will you be for him? And for the rest of us, don't be discouraged. Don't be cynical or empty. And if you are, he says, come to me. It's an ongoing thing. Every day, come to him. Live today. For me to live is Christ. Today, everywhere I go. I want to finish with the message translation of the same verse, Matthew 11, verse 28. And it it just gives us a more personal look. He's saying, walk with me, learn from me, be with me. Don't be running up that escalator the wrong way. It might seem like fun. You're going to get worn out. You're going to get burnt out. And and ultimately, it, it leads downwards. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Father, we thank you for your word and I pray for everybody looking and listening this morning.
I pray for those that are not sure about you, that they'd hear your words, see your arms, spiritually run to you. And for those of us that are following you already, where we can sometimes find ourselves in dark places, help us to know that you constantly search for us, you constantly open your arms to us. And to find life, we need to keep coming back to you. Pray your blessing, Lord, on everybody seeing and listening this morning. Pray you'll fill them with your spirit. Pray you'll lift them up if they are in despair or cynical, whatever it is. I pray, Lord, that they'll draw close to you and that you'd give them rest for your souls as they go out into the world, scattering, the church scattered as they go about doing the things of you, learning from you, walking with you, learning your unforced rhythms of grace. Wherever they go, may they spread you the aroma of Christ to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.